0: So we're continuing a series on worship, and our passage today is out of Psalm 150. And it uh, goes something like this. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heaven. Praise Him for His acts of power. For His surpassing greatness, praise the Lord. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him. With That everything that has breath praise the Lord praise the Lord the word God for all people yeah. so in the Hebrew language of the Old Testament there's this cool word uh, I, like, I like it because you get to go <laughs> the word is ruach, and it means breath or wind too. And we see this word ruach. See, there's actually a word for huh, and then there's a, a letter for huh, and then there's a letter for huh, in, the, in, in the Hebrew language. So that's the ruach. You gotta get it right, too, isn't it? Ruach. Oh, come on, man. If you do this right, then I'll you, will land on the first <laughs> <line>. <laughs> Ruach. Ruach. So it's a word that we find throughout the Old Testament, but in Genesis 1-1, God's Ruach, his spirit, breathes upon the the face of the water and brings forth life. In Ezekiel 37, the Ruach of God is there and is breathed into the valley of the dry bones and life springs forth. In the New Testament, it's a different word. It's pneuma. Any of y'all used the pneumatic tool? You know that that pneuma means? It's a circle, right? So, pneuma is the similar word that, that's used in the New Testament. And we find that when Jesus says to Nicodemus, the wind, pneuma, or the pneuma, blows where it chooses, in John 3 8. In John 20, after the resurrection, Jesus comes to his disciples and he breathes upon them. He breathes the Holy Spirit upon them. And that, too, on the day of, of Pentecost, there's a sound like a rush of a mighty wind. Everyone is filled with <coughs> the new life, the the Holy Spirit. See, God's Spirit dwells within us, and it's as close to us as our next breath. To live is to breathe. Each breath is life. And as the psalmist said, to breathe is to praise God. Let everything that has breath praise Lord. Now, Really even a question or a multiple choice is imperative that we are to praise our God. We're created for the praise of God. There's a thing called the Westminster Catechism, it's a shorter catechism. It asks this question, what is the chief end of humanity? What is the purpose? What's the chief purpose of humanity? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We're here to glorify God and enjoy Him Forever. And that's what leads to the end of our psalm this morning. Let everything that has read praise the Lord. And the song of Fire Sung to breathe in is to receive the grace of God. So every breath that you take in, you take a moment to think about. That's I'm receiving from God. I'm receiving grace from God. And to breathe out is to offer praise to God in all that we do. It's why when we talk about worship, it's, it's been pigeonholed as the thing that we do on Sunday morning, but worship is actually lived out in the breathing in and breathing out of our faith. It's everywhere that we go. We inhale, we exhale. It's a natural rhythm to life. Same way that music has beats and measures, our lives are similar to that. There's evening and morning, right? Each day is measured. There's six days of work and one day of rest. Each week is measured. God has ordered our lives in such a way that we give and receive, we work and we rest. We inhale and we exhale as a natural rhythm to our life. Now that's God's intention is that we live in in that rhythm. That breathing in and breathing out, breathing in of grace, breathing out of praise in all that we do and everywhere that we go. When I'm at school, I breathe in grace and I breathe out praise. Whenever I'm at work, I breathe in grace and I breathe out praise. So that God is part of all that I do at every place that I am. And breathing out praise is not always about words. Sometimes it's about action. That's what it's about. But our human temptation is to live outside of God's will for us. We have this flesh and spirit thing going on, and it's pulling at us, trying to get us to not do to do the wrong thing. God's saying, come on, and we're going, and that part of us is going, how will get to that you know? later. <laughs> I got this over here that looks like more fun than, than that over there. You know, that confidence that back and forth, that that temptation, that pull of the flesh and the spirit that goes back and it goes forth. We don't live ordered lives all that often, especially nowadays. We, we live, live. hurried lives, right? And filled and lives and chaotic lives. know this, that's not God's intent for us. It's not His purpose for us. We're created to receive grace. Take a breath with me. blow that out. Who's Grace of God, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> oh wait, it should have been the grace of God, thank you, Jesus. It should have bringed out, out. Maybe that's how it that works. Thank you for this moment in our life. But at times we forget. We forget to pray. And then the life is going to pull it up. and try and do this. How do this? It's that we're not alone in it. It's been going on a long time. Israel uh, violated the Sabbath in, in two principal ways. One is they neglected their essential need to rest. Exodus thirty-one seventeen. one of the translations says, On the seventh day, God rested and caught his breath. You know, after all the work of the six days, he rested on the seventh day. And for some reason, we think that we can keep going and going and going and going and going. And going. God took a break, what you know? He took a rest. Maybe it would be healthy and good for us to work at doing the same. So that's one way that they missed the mark. And they also forgot that God had liberated them from slavery. You know, when Moses came and he liberated an entire people, a people that started as 70 and ended up as hundreds of thousands were liberated and began a whole new nation. But they forgot. About that delivery. But here's the thing, many of us, the most intelligent, the smartest, the uh, most humble, all of us really, can become enslaved to destructive patterns of living if we don't pay attention. And it's usually very subtle. <coughs> usually very subtle. What happens is uh, we lose what, what I call margin. Now, in the old days, any of you, if you got a notepad, is there a margin on it? There's a margin. You know what I mean? There's that margin on a piece of paper. In the old days, almost all paper had that. Nowadays, even our paper has lost margin. It's cheap, right, in the line. And if you just fill it all up, it'd just be completely full and there's no space for anything else. Well, our lines were created to have margin. To have that day of rest, To have that, that moment when we can actually take a breath. And life tries to pull that away from us. See? Because if we don't have margin, then we get into that frenetic place. That chaotic place. That place where we, you ever felt like you're not running your life anymore? Like the world is taking it? That's what I'm talking about. When we don't have margin in our life, when we don't create that margin, we end up going to the next thing and we it, it's overwhelming overwhelming. That's not what God wants for us, but it's hard, especially when, when, when we've got good things, right? Any of y'all do just so many good things that you're going, ah! <laughs> you know, that's not uncommon. But, well, it's a good thing, so I ought to do it. Saying no is one of the most difficult things that we do, especially when we say no to a good thing, which but it may not be the best thing for us. So we've got to learn to create that, to, to create margin in our lives. Because if we don't, the world will take it. Right? The world's going to take away all the margin because it knows. Satan knows that if, if I can just get all the margin away, and they don't have any room, then they won't have room for God either. And so, constant in this world of ours with technology stuff and all the opportunities to to be active every second of every day, we went to twenty-four-seven news. We've gone to to social media, 24, everything is around the clock now. There's just no break. So if we don't take the time to set, to, to put margin in our life, it's not gonna happen. The world doesn't want that. So it's up to uh, take that vote by the form. We don't make good decisions when we don't have any margin in our lives. I watched a series recently on Everest. It was on um, History or Geography, one of the channels. Uh, and, and it was about experiences of world-class climbers who were climbing Mount Everest. And uh, one of the experts that was making it, that was uh, doing the commentary. He, he said this: most of the people who die on Mount Everest make it to the top. They make it to the top. They die on the way down. They discover once they've made it that they don't have enough oxygen to go down the mountain. Or they make bad decisions, critical errors, because of the lack of oxygen. And that's terrible for us. See, we've got to breathe in grace, spiritual oxygen, in order to be able to, to be where God wants us to be. See, we make it everything in our that we want we want us to die in the process. And that would be very sad. Got all the stuff that I ever wanted. I miss the gift of what it means to live as one of His people. And that can lead us to make choices that take us to maybe not the best place, not certainly not the place that God would have to be. So what's God's order and design for you? Eugene Peterson, he's the guy who wrote the, the message. It's a translation, a paraphrase of the Bible. So this is his interpretation of 2 Timothy 3.16. He says, Every part of Scripture is God-breathed, and useful in one way or another. Showing us truth, exposing our rebellions, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Training us to live God's way. It's one of the reasons why we're really looking at, can you, you know, read a, a verse a day? Be in God's Word. Let God's Word wash over you. Because worship is shaped by Scripture. Mm-hmm how we get to understand that praise is an essential component of the experience of God's people. It always has been. It's important, it's essential to the Israelites as, as they got to know who God was in the early days and all the way through the book of Revelation. See, in we, we worship we get to discover that there is design and there is order for our lives. And if we ignore it, it's at our own peril. We put ourselves in danger. If our lives get fluttered, we get overwhelmed. And our task is to reorient towards God and away from a lot of those things that pull us away from Him. See, God wants us to have times of rest and renewal to catch our breath. We're created to praise God. We're created for it. When our hearts and minds and spirits are oriented toward him, interesting things happen. We become less critical of others. More grace-filled as we breathe in grace. That's why worship is more than just coming to church on Sunday. You remember chuck last week, right? Lift up, bow down, and serve. The three words for worship semi is to lift up and hold high. Pruskineum, to bow down. The tribute to serve. So we did some calisthenics last week. You know? <laughs> worship. You know? And if that's what it takes to remind you what it means that we are to lift high in the name of God as we bow down before him, and we are to be in service. You know, that's a simple way to start a day. Lord. If it works for you, Dad, yeah. because we're created for it. Worship is shown, in our actions are shown in the choices we make. And sometimes life will be less teachable on and that, that happens for all of us, and it happens— John Wesley is the founder of Methodism, and he grew a lot. Of so one of the things I like about Wesley is his, he, he learned over the course of his life. This is a story of when he was 21 years of age at Oxford University. Now, Wesley came from a Christian home. His mom was was a strong Christian, his dad was a pastor, and and he was was smart. He had a keen mind, and uh, he he, he was a smart guy. But in his youth, he was also a bit snobbish and could be sarcastic. One night, though, something happened for him that set in motion a change in his heart. So he was speaking with a porter. It was a guy that was poor. And he had only one coat, and he lived in, in such impoverished conditions that he didn't even have a bed to sleep on. But he was a happy person, unusually happy. He was upbeat all the time, filled with gratitude for God. So Wesley, being immature and a bit sarcastic, said, well, what else do you thank God for? And the man smiling and replied, I thank you that he has given me my life and being. A heart to love him. And above all, a constant desire to serve him. And Wesley, in that moment, knew I mean, that this man had something that he didn't. He understood what gratitude was and what it meant to be thankful. And then, 80, 80 60 years later, as he lay on his deathbed, John Wesley, in that moment before he passed, showed that he learned that lesson about praising God in every circumstance. He was very weak, but he began singing the hymn, "I'll praise my Maker while I live." So he went from being the sarcastic young guy who made fun of of somebody who had that gratitude all the time to being someone who, even on his deathbed, was grateful and praised his Maker while he asked breath. Now, in our New Testament, there's a a primary manual for worship, so to speak. You know what it is? It's the last book. There is a lot of worship going on in Revelation. A lot of worship going on. It's like, it's the gathering of all that went before. And a lot of us avoid Revelation or or only see the, the, uh, the apocalyptic aspect of it or the end times aspect of it, but there's more to it. It is really the experience of John the Patmos, who is caught up in the spirit on the Lord's day. And John is given insight into the great suffering, and he understands some things, and, and he begins to understand all the way from Psalm 23, He leads me beside still waters and restores my soul. In Revelation 7:17, 7, the Lamb, of the Center of the Throne, will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of water life. God will wipe right away every tear from their eyes. There's a connection from sort of the beginning of Scripture all the way through the end of Scripture. Please read Scripture. Get into what it you know. Get into God's word. It, it will enhance your life. And because John has been shaped by the reading of Scripture, he sees the glory of God all around him. Glorifying God is the purpose of worship. It happens in Psalms all the time. Psalm is awesome, it's a, like a roadmap that passes through illness, loss of possessions, physical danger, depression, isolation, pain, uh, grief, anger. On the way to its conclusion in Psalm 15, that everything that has left, praise the Lord. I want to close this morning with this. See, in a small cemetery of a parish, church, parish churchyard in Olney, England, there's a grand tombstone that has this inscription on it. John Newton, clerk, pastor, once an infidel and liberty, a servant of slavers in Africa was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the baby of long labored to destroy. you may not recognize the name John Newton, but you most assuredly will recognize the hymn that he wrote, that we're going to close this morning with, it, called Amazing Grace. See, John did knew what Amazing Grace was. And God extended his grace to us every single day. Every single day. And if you're struggling with anything on this day, please know, That this is right, that God is a God that will preserve, restore, pardon, whatever it is that you do.